careful to do all this commandment that I command you today. For the Lord your God will bless you, as he promised you, and you shall lend to many nations. But you shall not borrow, and you shall rule over many nations, but they will not rule over you. If among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Take care lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart, and you say, The seventh year, the year of release, is near, and your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother, and you give him nothing. And he cry to the Lord against you, and you be guilty of sin. You shall give to him freely, and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him. Because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. Buenos días. La lectura esta mañana viene del libro de Deuteronomio, capítulo 15, versículos 1 al 11. Cada siete años perdonarás toda clase de deudas. Lo harás de la siguiente manera. Cada acreedor le perdonará a su prójimo el préstamo que le haya hecho. Ya no lo exigirá a su prójimo o a hermano que le pague la deuda, porque se habrá proclamado el año del perdón de las deudas en honor del Señor. Podrás exigirle el pago de sus deudas al forastero, pero a tu hermano le perdonarás cualquier deuda que tenga contigo. Entre ustedes no deberá haber pobres, porque el Señor, tu Dios, te colmará de bendiciones en la tierra que Él mismo te da para que la poseas como herencia. Y así será siempre y cuando obedezcas al Señor, tu Dios, y cumplas fielmente todos estos mandamientos que hoy te ordeno. El Señor, tu Dios, te bendecirá como lo ha prometido, y tú podrás darles préstamo prestado a, todas, a muchas naciones, pero no tendrás que pedir prestado de ninguna. Dominarás a muchas naciones, pero ninguna te dominará a ti. Cuando en alguna de las ciudades de la tierra que el Señor tu Dios te da, veas a un hermano hebreo pobre, no endurezcas tu corazón ni le cierres tu mano. Antes bien, tiéndele la mano y préstale generosamente lo que necesite. No des cabida en tu corazón a la perversa idea de que, por acercarse el año séptimo, año del perdón de las deudas, Puedes hacerle mala cara a tu hermano hebreo necesitado y no darle nada. De lo contrario, él podrá apelar al Señor contra ti y tú resultarás convicto de pecado. No seas mezquino, sino generoso. Y así el Señor tu Dios bendecirá todos tus trabajos y todo lo que, te, todo lo que emprendas. Gente pobre en esta tierra siempre la habrá. Por eso te ordeno que seas generoso con tus hermanos hebreos y con los pobres y necesitados de tu tierra. Thank you, Ashley and Oscar. We set out this year um, to make our ministry focus uh, mercy and justice ministry. 
And of course, by mercy, what we mean is the relief of suffering of all kinds, but especially physical and material hardship in people's lives, both in our community and outside of our community. Um, one of the things that we long to see incrementally as we grow as a new church is to see our church become more economically inclusive, uh, to have more walks of life represented in those that we call brother and sister immediately uh, surrounding us. And so, of course, it's a joy uh, to be able to focus on this topic over the next couple of weeks uh, through a little mini-sermon series on different perspectives that the Bible offers us on mercy and justice, mercy, uh, ministry, especially as a community grows by the grace of the gospel in this sort of way. To kick off this series, it's a pleasure uh, to have a wonderful guest preacher, uh, Reverend Chris Six, who together with his family has joined us. Uh, welcome to all of you. Um, so good to share this time with you. Chris is the pastor of mercy at Alexandria Presbyterian Church just down the street. And uh, for some of you uh, who were able to attend the mercy conference uh, that was hosted uh, a couple months ago um, in College Park, uh, Chris was one of the lead organizers and is a real presence, I think, in our presbytery, our region of churches, um, a leader in this area of mercy locally. And so it's a pleasure to have you uh, bring us this word from Deuteronomy. So why don't you come on up, Brother Chris, and let me pray for you. But as he comes up, can we welcome him together? Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for the many gifts that you have uh, scattered throughout your church, around the world, around this region. And so we thank you for the gift of this brother, uh, not only his leadership and ministry gifts, but the gift of who he is, that we can call him a brother, his life, his testimony, his ministry to his family, all these ways in which he serves you and serves your people. We pray your blessing upon him as he brings your word to us. We pray that you would bless him with your spirit's power, with your spirit's freedom, with your spirit's love for you and for your people. Uh, So please, God, help him, but help us to listen with open ears and open hearts. We give this time to you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said together, amen. 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 Thank you, dude. Good morning. Fun to be back with you all. I was here the first Sunday you worshiped in the building and uh, enjoyed being here and worshiping with you all and hearing the great music. I love the music here. So, um, I, I just, first question I have is Did you notice the crazy things that were just read in the scripture text? I mean, if you were paying attention, it's kind of bizarre. I mean, if there were any Wall Street investment bankers here and they read that, they would probably be walking out the door because this just sounds kind of loony that you would every seven years just cancel all mortgages, all car loans, all debts, anything anybody owed you, cancel. So I want to just unpack a little bit about how we make sense of this. And the key thing that we're going to be talking about is God's generosity, the generosity of God towards us and how he wants us to respond. So just first a little bit about the context. You know, the book of Deuteronomy is a farewell speech from Moses. He's saying goodbye to the people that he's been with for 40 years in the desert. They're about to go into the promised land, and he's not going with them. And the people that are going in are the children of those who were at Sinai. 
So 40 years earlier, people were at Sinai, they received the law, and now their children are the ones who are actually entering the promised land. And so Deuteronomy is this book, it it means second law. So God is reviewing all of his commands about how he wants his people to live. And when these people go in to the promised land, they're going to experience the biggest housewarming gift that anyone has ever seen. Um, Just a couple verses from Deuteronomy 6, as he describes what they're about to receive. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers to give you, it is a land large with flourishing cities, get this, that you did not build. Houses that are filled with all kinds of good things that you did not provide. There are wells that you did not dig. And vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. So, if you've ever bought a house, you know, you go to closing and you have to sign all these papers. Imagine if you showed up at closing to purchase this house or to rent an apartment and you go into the office to sign all the papers and you get there and the sellers say, hey, you know, we've been thinking, um, you guys are really nice folks and we just decided moving's a hassle, so we're just going to leave all the furniture in the house and, you know, we're going overseas, so we don't really need the cars. So they're in the driveway, you know, the keys are on the seat, the, the BMW's a few years old, I hope that's all right. And, you know, changing utilities, like, that's a hassle. You've got to change it. So we're just going to keep them in our name. And this paperwork, like, I, I, I'm, I don't have a lot of time today, so we're just going to pay off the mortgage. So, you know, it's, it's all yours. Who would do that? Who, who has that kind of generous heart? There's only one person in the universe, and it's the God that we love and serve. That is the generosity. That is the kind of generosity that God has for his people as they enter into the promised land. But he has one big question. This is the next verse from what I read in Deuteronomy 6. When you eat and are satisfied with all of these things I'm going to give you, be careful. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt out of the land of slavery. And so that's the big question that God has for his people, is when we were in the desert for 40 years and you had nothing, you still had me. And it was enough, wasn't it? 40 years in the desert, you learned that having nothing physically, but having me is enough. So what's going to happen when you suddenly have everything? Are you going to forget all about me? That's the question. And one thing I want to point out is because sometimes when we read a text like this, we, one of the reasons we start squirming is we start thinking, well, am I supposed to do this? Is Chris saying that I need to go out and forgive all the loans that maybe I've given to somebody? Do I have to do this? Well, these are part of the civil laws in the Old Testament. You may know that in the Old Testament, there's civil, ceremonial, moral laws. The moral law still applies. That hasn't changed. But the civil and ceremonial laws were specific to the nation of Israel and to the land that they were in. And so the Lord is not calling us to cancel our debts every seven years. But you may then wonder, why am I preaching about it at all? Because it teaches us something about the heart of God, about the society that God wants to create. And God was trying to teach them how he expects his people to live. Israel failed to do it, but Jesus fulfilled all of these things. And therefore, through him, 
it does have something to do with us. You know, I think it's also helpful to think about the context of where Israel was, thinking about the mindset of what life was like three, 4,000 years ago when this happened. In the ancient Near East, society, theology, politics, they were all based upon the principle of might makes right. The people who were in charge, the people who had stuff, were those who were prettiest, who were strongest, who had the right daddy. That's who got to be in charge. That's who got to have stuff. And they would say things. We still have phrases. Um, Might makes right. To the victor goes the spoils. Nice guys finish last. And so bloodthirsty people, and they worshipped often bloodthirsty, ruthless gods. And it was in a world like that that Moses stands up to the nation of Israel and says, if you loan somebody money, I want you to just cancel that debt after seven years. God wants you to give freely, and he wants you to do it cheerfully. (laughs) Did you notice that? He wants you to do it without being begrudging in your heart. In that society back then, believe it or not, generosity was actually considered a sign of weakness. If you were generous, it showed that you were a weak person. Because strong people took what they wanted and they kept it. And if you had strength, you could hold on to your possessions. And now suddenly Moses is flipping that completely on its head and saying, actually, it's a sin if you're not generous. The other fascinating thing in here is that every seven years was called a Sabbath year. And just as the seventh day of the week, we're supposed to rest from our work. God was saying, every seventh year, I want you to rest from your labors for a whole year. He was telling them that they were to store up food in warehouses, in storehouses for six years. And in the seventh year, they could stop farming and just eat and enjoy everything they had stored up. And of course, grapes and grain and things would grow in those fields. They don't stop growing. But he said that those crops were not to be harvested by the owner of the land. Guess who they belong to? They belong to widows, orphans, and refugees. The three categories of people that God's heart is tender to. And he's telling the landowners, I want you to release. Release your dependency upon your crops, upon your possessions, upon your own labors. And I want you to depend upon God just as you did in the desert. I took care of you for 40 years in a desert. Don't you think I can take care of you in a land of milk and honey? And we also read about how these loans were canceled. Indentured servants set free. Even if they hadn't worked off their debt, you know, sometimes somebody would be taken in as a servant to work off debt and they'd owe you 10 or 20 years. But he's saying every seven years you let them go, whether they've worked it off or not. So one of the first questions I had when I read this was, I wonder how well this worked out. You know, did, did they do this? And if so, how well did it work? And the amazing thing is when you go and try to do research about this and find out how well it worked, you can find nothing. <laughs> there is virtually nothing in Jewish history about this whole system, about how it worked out. And do you know why? Because they didn't do it. <laughs> they never did it. They were told this is one of the conditions upon which you get this land. 
And I think the natural conclusion of the fact that we find nothing in the history about it is that they never did it. And if you think about all the ways Israel went wrong, they very quickly started worshiping other gods. When they got in trouble, they would make treaties with their enemies. They'd make a treaty with Assyria to protect themselves from Egypt. And then when Egypt turned bad, they'd make a treaty with Assyria. They were always running after other gods. They even sacrificed some of their children to idols. If they, were will, if they went that far from the heart of God, don't you think that this deeply challenging and difficult commandment would be one of the first they would let go of? And so God punishes Israel for their disobedience in all of these categories. The, the land that was given to the people came with strings attached. He told them, you get this land on the condition that you do these things I'm telling you. Deuteronomy is actually a big contract. It's like a big mortgage. The whole book is a contract between God and his people. And he's saying, I'm giving you this land on the condition that you live according to my commands. And they didn't do it, and that's why they end up getting sent into exile. They were selfish with the things that God had generously given Now, when we're selfish, one of the first excuses we often think of, um, I think, to defend ourselves is we say, you know, I just barely have enough for myself. I can't really give to all the needy people around because then I might not have enough. But if you have your bulletin in front of you, look at verse 4. This promise. He says, there will be no poor among you for... And for is a word in Scripture that is often translated because. So read it as that. There will be no poor among you because the Lord will bless you in the land the Lord is giving you. Because God is calling us to radical generosity, and because he owns all the cattle on a thousand hills, don't you think he's capable of giving you enough to obey the command of generosity? That we don't have to be concerned about running out if we're doing what he has asked us to do. I think what God is saying is that if anybody in your community, if your brothers and sisters are lacking any material possessions, it is not because of a lack of resources, but it's because of your selfish hearts. God is asking us to be generous with all of the resources he gives. Um, Time, talent, and treasure are the kind of resources we give. And, you know, especially in D.C., for some people, tithing 10%, you know, God asks us to give 10% back to his kingdom work. For some people, that's not a big stretch. Some people it is. If it isn't a stretch for you, what about your time? I think that in D.C., the thing we value often more than money is time. To give somebody our time is asking a lot. So don't think about selfishness only in financial terms. I think selfishness can be about any of the resources or gifts that God has given us. The other word that I wanted you to look at, if you're still in your bulletin, at verses 1 and 2, the word release. And then in verses 7 and 8 and 11, he compares, don't shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him. He's talking about releasing our possessions. He's teaching us that being tight-fisted 
with the things that God has given us with his open hand is deeply hurtful to him. It not only hurts him, it harms those around us, and it hurts us too. Um, You know, you probably know these verses from Matthew 6, what Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be. When things are your treasure, when things have taken possession of your heart and you think they're yours by right and you're entitled to them, then you cling to them with a tight fist. Remember what Gollum called the ring, right? He called it his precious. The ring was his precious. and It was what he lived for and the ring kept him alive, right? And he always called it my precious. There was a strong emphasis, right, on my precious. At the same time as he possessed it, it really possessed him, didn't it? And then you compare Gollum to Frodo and Sam and Aragorn. And the reason we admire those characters so much is because they did not cling, even to their most dear possession, their own lives. They were willing to lay down for their friends. They were willing to let go. Which is the same thing we're told about Jesus, right? Greater love has no man than this, than that he would lay down his life for the sake of his friends, not clinging to it, not holding tight-fisted. Jesus died to make us his treasure. And so that when we become brothers and sisters of Christ then the Father looks at us and treasures us because he sees us in Christ. And then God becomes our treasure. And then we lay up those treasures in heaven rather than on earth because we know that that's where our treasure truly lies, in our relationship with a loving Father. And then the things that we have, when our heart is really focused on heaven and on our Father, then the things that we do have, the money, the time, the talent, those things don't, they don't possess us. We don't hoard them. But we have, we're more open-handed because we realize how open-handed God has been. We realize that he has blessed us so that we might be a blessing. Listen to a little more from Deuteronomy. This is Deuteronomy 8. A little bit more about the land that he is giving. Deuteronomy 8, 7. The Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of fountains and springs, land of wheat and barley. I mean, sometimes I think about America. When you think about the wealth and resources we have, wheat and barley, vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. You know, my iPhone has 16 grams of copper in it. And people talk about what a genius Steve Jobs was, that he invented this iPhone, that he took that copper and these other things and started Apple computers and invented a device that just revolutionized smartphones and how we live to a large extent. But... Did Steve Jobs invent copper? Did he invent radio waves and silicon and touch screens? I'm not trying to kick a man when he's dead, but, you know, where did Steve Jobs get these resources? And where did he get the intelligence, the opportunities? 
He just happened to grow up in Silicon Valley, you know. He just happened to have a father who, when he was a kid, would take him to the garage and they would take apart televisions and radios together and tinker with electronics. He just happened to have parents who were willing to spend their life savings to send him to college. What if he'd been born in Bangladesh? What if Steve had been born with different parents, with a lower IQ? See, God remembers when he put that copper in the land. He knew that he would put these things in the land, and he was creating people who had these magnificent brains that would one day figure out how to dig copper out of the ground, melt it down, churn it into bronze and electric wires and iPhones. And we so quickly forget the one who made the resources, gave us the brains, gave us the opportunities, the minds, the hands, put us into a community, put us into a family, And then we so quickly take all that he's given and we use it to just build up our own reputation, to build up our opinion of ourselves, and to use these things for our comfort, our pleasure, our security. So one thing I'd ask you to ponder today is just how has God blessed you? Maybe make a list this afternoon. What are the things that God has blessed you with? What do you have? Can you name one thing that he has not given you? with his open hand. And so an essential part of being children of this generous God is reflecting his generosity. Real generosity. Real generosity is sacrificial. Real generosity is not giving out of your surplus. You know, if you have some spare furniture that you're tripping over in your apartment and you've got a bunch of clothes that your kids have outgrown and they're just taking up space and you give that away... That's not generosity. That's spring cleaning. (laughs) Generosity is not based upon getting rid of surplus, just what I can spare without feeling a pinch. Real generosity is based upon the need of my neighbor. John Piper, for a while I said this was my favorite quote of the year and then the decade. I don't know how long I'm going to be saying it. It's still my favorite quote I've heard in a very long time. John Piper said, To be a Christian is to move toward need, not comfort. To be a Christian is to move toward need, not comfort. And at the same time as I love that, it also makes me squirm, right? Because what he's saying is that if you are putting your time and your energy and your resources all into your own comfort, then you are missing something essential about what it means to follow Christ. Because Christ was not motivated by his own comfort, by his own security. If he had been, he would have stayed in heaven, where he was perfectly comfortable, perfectly safe and secure, and instead he came down here to a place of pain and persecution, and he did it with wide open eyes, because he had a purpose. He was drawn to us by our need. Hebrews 12 says, For the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross. What was the joy set before him? What was the joy set before Christ that would be so joyous that he would endure the cross? You know what it is? It's you. You are the joy that Jesus had right in his mind, your face, your name. If you are trusting in him, he was thinking of you. And that's why he endured the cross. 
because of your need. That's real generosity. God was willing to give that way because of our need and his love. And so true generosity should always be motivated by need and love. And so in the body of Christ, when we get that, we can actually fulfill verse 4 from our text. Did you see Moses said, there will be no poor among you. And as I said, it never happened in Israel, but it did happen through the ministry of Christ. And so then the early church, motivated by this love of Christ, actually made that real for a period of time. Um, Acts 4, verse 32. Listen to this. Acts 4, starting in 32. All the believers in Jerusalem were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that his possessions were his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and there were no needy persons among them. The thing that had been commanded thousands of years before actually happened. It was a fulfillment of what Moses had said. God wanted Israel to practice this year of release because it would reflect his character. And they never did. But Jesus gave the release. It is God who releases debts and sets prisoners free. That's what Jesus went about doing. Releasing people from physical poverty, from from physical um, ailments, from sin and death. And so the first believers in Jerusalem were so radically changed by this generosity that they'd received that there's no way they could be tight-fisted, tight-fisted with one another. There were no physically poor in the early church because they were all spiritually rich in Christ. And we know that there are many poor in this city, in this region, in this country. You may have noticed in verse 11 it said there will always be poor in the land. But verse 4 said there, will ne- there must not be poor among you. Okay? So what God is saying, I think, to the people of this congregation and my congregation is there must be no poor among you, brothers and sisters, and that the community you create here will flow out in love and service to the community and draw other people in who want to be a part of a community that loves one another like that. But it begins here with the way we love each other, and then we have an impact on our community. That we, who are naturally selfish people, would be united in the selfless Christ, And we absolutely need the help of Christ to do this. This is not something you can just pick up and take out of the context and then go out and apply in the city. This is the context. You are the context. Christ and the Holy Spirit are the source of the generosity. And we can't divorce it from that. Our selfishness is too deep-rooted for this to happen on our own. We are born with selfishness. You know that. If anybody spent any time with toddlers, you quickly understand what original sin is. No one had to teach toddlers to guard their toys, right? Parents, did you ever sit down with your kids and say, don't let anybody take your toys. Got to hold on to them. What's one of the first kids' words that kids learn, right? Mine! Has anybody ever seen a toddler whose first word was yours? Oh, take it. Anything. Help yourself. 
If any of you have a child like that, you got to write a book, please. I've never met one. Imagine a child who instead of saying, give me and I want that and take it, just releases. So as adorable as babies are, they're already self-absorbed little creatures. I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, I'm wet, I'm tired, serve me, take care of me. And we love to do it because we're their loving parents. But when we get older, we're really just those same children inside. I'm lonely, I'm bored, I want a new car, I need more clothes, I want an iPad. Right? We continue to be toddlers who just want more and more expensive toys. And just to talk more about toddlers, because it's fun. I mean, have you ever seen two toddlers, like, fighting over that toy that they both want? And these adorable little angelic faces, suddenly, they become like Gollum, right? And they get this anger on their face, and they have this death grip on this poor little stuffed animal, pulling with all of their might. Tight-fisted. And I think that same tight-fisted, greedy toddler continues to live inside all of us. And so God is saying, release it. Just let it go. It is possessing you, and I don't want that anymore. I want you to let your possessions go. I gave you all of these things from my generous hand, and I may or may not give you an iPad. I may or may not give you the new car, but I gave you everything you have to bless you to bless you. And these things that you're clinging to are not blessing you anymore. They're hurting you. I gave you these things so that you would be blessed and then that you would bless those around you to bless my people. Release your death grip. Open that tight fist. And it's not only about time and treasure. There are other things God might be calling you to release. Maybe a grudge. Maybe your pride. Maybe your need to always be right. What debts are you carrying around? What debts do you feel that somebody owes you? And is God maybe asking you to release that? Saying, I have released you from slavery to all of these things. And I want you to love others just as I have loved you. You know, the last words that Jesus spoke on the cross... When he said it is finished. In Greek, that phrase is tetelestai. And archaeologists have found um, receipts from Greek merchants. And on the bottom of the receipts, sometimes they'll find written tetelestai, which means paid in full. What God is saying, what Jesus was saying on the cross, when he said paid in full, is he was saying you are released. You are released from the power of sin and death, and you are released from your enslavement to your own desires, your self-centeredness. He purchased us through his death for our freedom. And so the word to Telestai is written on our hearts. It's written with the blood of Christ, and it says you are released. And people who know that a community of people who know that, who have been released by a loving God, then are going to be 
more quick to release the things they have, to release their time, talent, and treasure in loving one another mercifully, generously. And that will impact a city in huge ways. Would you pray with me? Lord, I pray. I just pray simply that there would be no poor at Grace Meridian Hill. That there would be no poor in this community. For, Lord, you have blessed these people in the place you have brought them. I pray this congregation would love one another freely. That their hearts would not be grudging when they give to each other of their time and their talent. Because it is for that reason you have blessed them. It is for that reason you have blessed us. So that we could experience the generosity of our Father in heaven, and then that generosity would flow through us, out into our brothers' and sisters' lives, and then that we would go out and proclaim this kind of community. We would put on display what the kingdom of God looks like, and then we would impact this community. We would go out and make relationships with people who do not yet know the generosity of Christ on the cross, and they might come and hear of it and have their lives changed from the inside out. That's our desire, and we know it's yours, and so we ask it boldly in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Chris. Let's stand together.